Good morning. So we're going to continue in our series, Glory of God in the Local Church in Unity. So this morning's class is our ninth week. It's on giving and service. It's sacrifice for the sake of unity as a body. So before we get started, let's pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you again for this time that we have together this morning. Um, as always, that you remove any distractions in our minds that would keep us from focusing on your word and our duties as Christians. Lord, we thank you for this series on unity. I pray that it's been a blessing to your body. And I pray that uh, we learn more today and grow in knowledge and wisdom of what your word says about what it means to be a member of a church and serve and give of our time. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So as I said this morning, we turn to the topic of serving the church, and by serving, I simply mean spending yourself, your time, your gifts, your resources, and your energy, all that you have for the good of the church. Christ's service to us is the model for this, and we read that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is our model that we follow because we are in Christ. Now Jesus calls us to take up his cross and follow him. Our service to others then should be the result of an overflow of love from our hearts because of the love that God has shown us in Christ. That's what unleashes ministry to the church an overflow of joy as we comprehend the incredible mercy Christ has shown us. So this morning, we'll cover how God has called us to serve the church, serve each other in the church through our various gifts, and how that service contributes to the unity in the body. So this unity is an important part of our witness. It's a community of people who joyfully serve one another should... It should, that, that community should stick out in the world that we live in today. People living for one another instead of themselves. So we'll start with a theology of service and then walk through four ways in which service can contribute to unity. And along the way, I'm going to pause and reflect on different ways we can get service wrong and fail to glorify God in it. And my hope is that our discussion this morning will spur us to serve each other more and more for God's glory and our good as well, right? To stir up love and good works in one another. So our first point, a theology of service, is that we see, we see this from various passages in Scripture. And if uh, we look at 1 Peter in chapter 4, verse 10, we read, Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then in verse 11, we read, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So these two verses in 1 Peter 4 are a kind of summary on the theology of service or ministry within the church. And they contain five simple but important points for each and every one of us. The first is each Christian has received a gift. Secondly, the gift is a result of God's grace. Thirdly, we are responsible to use that gift that God has given us. Fourth, we should use it 
for the benefit of others and to glorify God. And lastly, we should serve God through God's strength and not our own. So as a Christian, there is some special manifestation of God's grace in which you can build up others in the faith and bring glory to God, which is more important as well. So what's the purpose of your service? In Ephesians 4, verse 12, Paul says that these gifts are given to what? Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. What Paul is stressing here is the goal of strengthening the whole body, not just the parts. We are to minister to each other with a view not just of helping each other mature, but with a view of the whole body growing in maturity and growing in unity. God gives gifts to all of us according to his grace to be exercised in strength, not primarily as a means of fulfillment to each of us as individuals, but for the maturing of his church, that we might grow in unity and that'll be our focus today, all right? And so that's also leads us to our first point of how service goes wrong. The person who feels entitled to serve Christ precisely in the way that they feel gifted and who fears that they cannot find fulfillment as a Christian if they're not serving in that specific way has misunderstood the passage. The goal of service is strengthening of the body, not our personal fulfillment. Can we all agree on that? And so that means that we serve where the body needs strengthening. The fact that God gives us gifts to use in service isn't supposed to limit us in what we do. It equips us to do what needs to be done. We can be wrong about what gifts or gifts we think God has given us. It's far better to roll up our sleeves and get serving than to sit around and wonder what our gift is as well. Because the goal of service is unity and we discover our gifts as we serve. Correct? Amen. So point number three, how should we serve in a way that promotes unity? It says, given this goal of unity, what should our service in the church look like? And what should our motive for serving the church be? Let me touch on, on four answers to those questions. First, we should serve in God's strength and with great joy. Our goal shouldn't be mere good deeds, but good deeds done in a spirit that comes from joyful dependence on God's help. That's what glorifies God in particular. And going back to 1 Peter 4.10, we read, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So picture two people considering whether to help clean the church. One says, oh, I, I suppose I'll go. It's worth a few brownie points with the leaders, and besides, I'm, I'm pretty good at that sort of thing. I'll be able to impress a few folks there. So he comes and he starts grumbling about the tools that we have to use and talks on and on about his abilities. He works, but his work isn't done in reliance on God's power and his attitude lacks a spirit of joy and gratitude. And his desires to impress others is a form of a fear of man, not serving to glorify God. But consider a second person who is also hoping to help with cleaning, but 
he's been quite ill lately, he thinks to himself, oh, how I'd love to help the church and clean it. Maybe I could encourage someone downhearted, or maybe I could just pour the coffee. So he prays, and it turns out he feels well enough to go and help with cleaning. He does what he can with a rag and broom, and he does it well. But above all, he exudes a joy and a sense of gratitude that promotes unity and brings glory to God. Now, these examples are somewhat extreme, but I hope that they highlight what matters to God. You know, it's, what matters to God isn't merely that we use our gifts, but it's how we use our gifts. It's our heart. It needs to be in cheerful reliance on him, joyful, heart of gratitude. The Bible exhorts us to serve, not out of duty, but because it's an amazing opportunity to participate in the building up of God's people. What a joy. It really is. Amen? It takes the focus off of you and onto God's people and glorifying God. So that's also service gone wrong, number two. Serving out of guilt rather than out of gratitude. Think of what a guilt-driven service says about the things of God. It says that they're not more valuable than other things in our life. But we'll do it anyway because we have to. The difference between letting your perfume-laden aunt during the holidays give you a kiss when you're a kid, it's because you have to, and joyfully enduring a long journey or traveling to go see loved ones when you're an adult, um, it's because the reward is greater than the cost. Um, that's the difference. Now, this may raise a question in our minds. What if I don't have this attitude? What if my heart is cold in our service or is partially motivated by guilt or fear of man? Should I abstain from giving my time and resources? And would it be hypocritical if I continue to serve? The answer is no. We shouldn't refrain from serving in the church, even though our joy may not always be great or our motives perfectly pure. Scripture commands us to give of ourselves. And while we should strive to give out of a joyful and grateful heart, we also have to recognize that we're sinners and we cannot do this perfectly. We don't always feel like going to church or feel like going to serve other people, but we are commanded to. And what happens when you start? It changes your attitude. So, but Lord willing, we continue to grow in this area as we serve. We should pray that God would help us to serve joyfully in his strength and that our motives would become more and more pure. Amen? So secondly, we should serve in the knowledge that everyone's service is needed and is valuable. One obstacle of the body of Christ functioning the way it should is when members feel useless and unimportant, which can lead to an envy of others or bitterness toward God. Paul directly rejects this idea of uselessness in 1 Corinthians 12. And let's turn there if you have your Bible. We're going to spend some time there. And in 1 Corinthians 12, we hear Paul again uses this wonderful image of the body with many members. So Paul explains that the very existence of the body of Christ depends on the diversity of gifts the Spirit has given the church. We undermine that spirit-given diversity when we compare ourselves with others. We're not content with where the Lord has us. 
So he says, starting in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 12, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And then he says in verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Well, it wouldn't exist, would it? Be a bunch of arms in the body. There would be no body. <laughs> More importantly, in, res in response to the claim of uselessness, Paul points out God's sovereignty in the matter. In verse 18, he says, but as it is, who arranged? God arranged the members of the body. Each one of them as who chose? God chose. So God is sovereign in the designing of all the parts of the body, and he does it for our best interest. So what does this mean for us? We should serve in the church where we can. We should thank God for the gifts that he has given us. And we shouldn't feel useless or discontent merely because we aren't serving in some particular way or capacity. There are so many ways to serve in this church that are crucial to the health of this church and the unity that, it, that we have. So if you're a mom with young kids, seeing if we have any this morning, um, you may feel exhausted and discouraged that you don't have the time to disciple women or volunteer at church like you want to. I want to encourage you that that is okay. It is absolutely okay. You are now in a season where God has called you to serve him by loving your kids and training them up. Don't despair if you feel like you've lost some opportunities now that you're working primarily in the home. The Lord has given you a full-time ministry in your home. Amen. It's good to desire to keep serving the church even while your life circumstances have changed. That's a great desire. But pray about that and see how God might open a door to serve the body in new ways if you are in any sort of new season of life. And I want to take a moment to talk about last week's lesson was encouragement, unity through encouragement. Young moms with little children need a lot of encouragement. Um, going, having gone through it ourselves, I missed a lot of opportunities to encourage my wife. And so now I know what not to do. And so, and what to encourage others to do. Amen. And so if you see, we have a lot here, a young mother, please take some time and encourage them today. It's probably going to mean a lot to them and not just today, the weeks to come as well and the years to come. Amen. So on your handout, then you'll see service gone wrong. Number three. The person who gives up serving because they don't see their contributions as important. We must never, under, un, we must never understand service to God as, a value, as valuable primarily because of the temporal result, but because of what the sacrifice says about God's value to us. What did Jesus say was more valuable, the widow's two copper coins or the thousands given by the wealthy? Right? the coins, amen, and it's, that exposes the heart. It's a heart issue. But that raises another question. Does this mean that we can't desire or seek to attain other gifts? If God is the one who gives us the gifts in the first place, according to his good pleasure, then it, is it dishonoring to ask him uh, for gifts that we don't have now? 
So scripture, if you look at it, indicates that it is a good thing to earnestly desire spiritual gifts that yet we don't have. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul instructs the Corinthians to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Paul makes it clear that it is possible to long for spiritual gifts that we don't have without regarding the ones that we do have as useless or by coveting those that others have. This is the balance between contentment in the gracious sovereign provision of God and the longing of holy yearnings and prayer. So we should be content with the gifts God has given us, number one, but we can also be eager for more and pray for those. So thirdly, we should use our gifts humbly. And this is really the flip side of our second point. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 20, Paul encourages those members who might feel that they have nothing to, uh, to contribute. So he's encouraging them in those verses. But in the next few verses, in verses 21 through 26, he cautions those who have been given gifts of greater responsibility to exercise those gifts with humility. So in verse 21, we read, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Those in positions of greater responsibility or visibility in the church must not lord their authority over others or carry out their duties with an air of superiority. That does the opposite of unity. So unity and diversity is impossible without Christ-like humility. And the place that doesn't, that, and the place that's needed, it's needed most, is in those who who seem to have the most responsibility or prominence in the church. When this doesn't happen, people can become territorial over a ministry or bitter and suspicious of anyone who might suggest changes. And the results are devastating for our unity in the church. Our calling is to recognize and honor the service of all members, no matter how visible or invisible they are. No matter how seemingly significant or insignificant that service might appear to be. A great way for us to do that is to acknowledge the service of others particularly in areas of ministry that are behind the scenes. So send a card of encouragement or thank someone verbally for such work, whether it's running the sound system, uploading the sermons to the website, cleaning the church, working security, putting things in bulletins, and you can keep going on and on and on. It's all the little things that aren't seen. But aren't they important? Do they serve us? Amen. This is exactly where service can go wrong for our fourth example. Have you ever complained that others in the church aren't doing their fair share? Where does that attitude come from? Maybe a poor understanding of the constraints that others are, are working under, could be. Maybe a proud heart that confuses personal worth with the amount of service. Maybe an assumption that others are willfully neglecting service rather than compassionately giving them the benefit of the doubt. That maybe they don't yet know how much joy comes from serving either. In all of this, the solution is humility. Recognize that you're not any better because you serve. We all alike deserve God's judgment. We have to realize that. And yet he has rescued us so that we can now serve him 
and he has done that to the other saints that aren't serving yet. But we are to come alongside and what? Encourage them to do so. Point them to Christ. Show them the word. Love them with humility, not being proud or prideful. And that leads us to our fourth point. We should serve to glorify God and to benefit others and to benefit yourself. So we touched on this point somewhat, but I want to address it specifically. Our service to the church yields several benefits. It's for ourselves, for others, and most importantly, it's for God's glory. When we serve faithfully, God is glorified because we're simply returning what is his back to him. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including the strength and time he gives us. It's not something we usually think about. That's why, we, why to think about service, you need to think about your whole lifestyle. What we do with every hour, not just Sundays during church. And that says something about our view of God and what he means to us when we start addressing it in our whole lifestyle. So serving also directly benefits others. Making someone a meal provides sustenance. Giving someone a ride to church makes it possible for them to grow under the preaching of the word and in fellowship. Serving at the info booth helps a lot of people benefit from godly resources and assistance. This is all obvious stuff, but take a moment and think about it. Do you want to bring other people joy in their Christian life? When you commit to serve in a particular way and then make good on that commitment, even though that commitment constrains your own time and strength, you are working directly for others to grow in joy and knowledge of Christ. It's a sacrificial lifestyle. Remember the first verse that we went over? Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. So that is our model. Amen? But that's not all. Our service also brings benefits to us as well. It helps us appreciate the ultimate act of service that Christ did for us. It teaches us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A life of service is simply a happier life than a life of selfishness. Service makes us less self-focused. But ironically, as it does so, God has ordained things so that this is actually the way to a life of sanctification and contentment as we serve. What will the world tell you to serve? The God of me, myself, and I. They will do everything to focus your efforts on yourself. Me, me, me. Constantly. You are your own God. You make your own rules. It's all about you. You deserve it. You've worked hard. They just feed that ego and that pride every single day. But what the word says, and our model is our savior, is to serve. It's to serve others and you lay, lay down your lives in a sacrificial way for the body. So it's also service gone wrong number five. The person who serves only slightly because their heart is captured by the world. And they believe the lie that self-indulgence and self-focus brings greater joy. 
their mixed priorities keep them from the higher satisfaction of self-sacrifice. And also number six, service gone wrong number six, the person who serves to the point that is deemed acceptable by those around them rather than wagering everything on God's strength. The measuring rod is people and not God in doing what other people are doing because that's what they think they're supposed to do and it's now acceptable in their eyes and we need to be glorifying God in everything that we do. So Roman numeral number four, persevering and doing good. Here we will see two points of application for us regarding serving the church. So letter A is first persevere in your service through Christ's power. Paul told his readers in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, as for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Why? Why would he instruct us this? Because it happens. People tire in their service. When year follows year and weariness sets in, there can be temptation to pull back or even stop altogether, getting worn out. Or maybe you've lost sight of the larger goal of serving God, having been so caught up in the details and busyness in the ministry, you have neglected your relationship with God. And perhaps now you're relying on your own strength. You've lost focus. If that's the case, remember that our strength to serve comes from Christ in us. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit. And what is that to do? It's to bear fruit. We must abide in Christ who is the vine in order to bear fruit. Just as, as food provides the fuel that is necessary for our physical well-being, spending time in God's word and in prayer provides the spiritual nourishment that motivates us to serve. It seems so simple when we talk about it, but practically we get in our own way, don't we? So we, when we remind ourselves again and again of God's character, his goodness, his forbearance, what he's done for us in Christ, we are re-energized to serve him. If we neglect our love for Jesus, it's no surprise our service becomes just another chore and, and sometimes even a burden. So ignite your hearts and minds to serve with the truth of God's grandeur and grace. We must constantly remind ourselves of that. And so this is our last instance of service gone wrong, and that's exhausting ourselves. Exhausting ourselves in service in our own strength, rather than being refreshed in our relationship with God. My encouragement is to structure your life so that you serve in a substantially sacrificial way. That might sound like a contradiction because, it's, because sacrifice shouldn't feel easy. But what, what I mean is, as we sacrifice in costly ways, seek to position yourself so that you can continue in a posture of utter reliance on Christ that doesn't lead to burnout, but that leads to a contended, ongoing lifestyle of giving yourself up for God's glory while resting in him. And so moving on to letter B, Service opportunities at Pacific Hope. And as you think about persevering in that way, I want to take a minute to talk about opportunities at our church. God calls every member to act 
to actively serve the body in formal capacities and informal. So as a church in a formal capacity, we need members who are technically gifted to serve in the AC or the AV uh, ministry. There is an AC ministry too. God bless that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the AV, those who are service minded to, to clean, those who have been given a love for children to teach or, or watch after them and serving in our children's ministry. And if you, any of you are not serve, serving in any formal capacity, please see a, a deacon or an elder and we can plug you in. There's plenty of opportunities. And I should point out that some of the most vital ministries at this church in any church is not connected with a formal ministry, but is informal and relational. So what that means is having people over for dinner or talking with someone who doesn't know many people here at church on a Sunday morning and make them feel welcomed. Or in the same vein, seeking to engage new visitors on Sunday morning to help them feel the love of God. And of course, praying and encouraging one another is also a continual opportunity to serve the body. So it doesn't have to be in some formal capacity either. We'd like it to be additionally. But serving the body is important in all aspects, especially the informal ones. So, and lastly, Roman numeral number five. Part of our worship and our service is in the area of financial giving. Serving and giving of our time is nowhere in scripture in lieu of financial giving. We can't substitute one for the other. So giving of our tithes and offerings honors God and demonstrates our trust and thankfulness for his provision in our lives. So Proverbs 3, 9 states, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Our giving testifies to what we value most. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The apostle Paul speaks about the generous giving as an act of grace and encourages the saints in Corinth to excel in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 and 7 says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Giving to the local church supports the ordinary means of grace, which is the preaching of the word, the baptism, communion with one another, and prayer. Beyond that, without support for the local church, the spread of the gospel through missions would cease to exist as well. And so for this, um, and so how much should a Christian give? That's the question of the day. And this, it's a good question and one that is, it's almost impossible to nail down since it's an act of grace, right? We, we went over, what mattered most, the thousands of dollars from the wealthy or the two coins from the woman? It's a, it's a hard issue. It's an act of grace. And, and to help, let's review our handout that we've had out there for months. It's called the Biblical Perspective on Giving, and looks like Robert and Michelle are handing it out. And we're going to read through it together. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to pay 10% of their income to support the Levites the religious leaders of the day. And there 
was not just one tithe, but three, averaging roughly about 23% of their annual income, in addition to the temple tax and voluntary offerings. That's a lot. Today, we have received so much more blessing in Christ than those in the Old Testament saints could ever have imagined. Giving for the Christian is a wonderful opportunity to take the temporal money that God has given us and invest in the returns that are eternal. By prioritizing our finances to give first to the Lord, we honor him in all that he has given us. Generous giving also loosens the chains that money can wrap around our hearts and keeps our lives free from the love of money. Many Christians assume that their responsibility starts and ends with a gift of 10% to their local church, though few even do this. But this is far from an accurate picture of biblical giving. 10% of our income may well be a good starting point. After all, Abraham tied to the high priest of Melchizedek hundreds of years before the tithe was required by the law that was eventually fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus nowhere tells us not to tithe. But it is notable that in the instructions to the churches in the New Testament, the tithe is absent. Instead, we see Paul's instructing each Christian to give as he may prosper. In other words, give as much as he is able, which infers beyond what was previously required by the law. And he writes to the churches in Galatia, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever... For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. All good things, not just 10% of what God has given us, uh, from, from the very beginning of the New Testament church, we see believers prioritizing their generous giving by the local church by selling their possessions and bringing the proceeds to their leaders, trusting them to discern how best to steward the gifts. So where should you start? Start at giving 10% of your income and see every dollar as an opportunity to bring God glory. It is important to note that your time, your talents, and service are additional forms of worship, but are nowhere shown in Scripture as a substitute for, to financial giving. So four points to consider. Number one, and for the sake of the recording, I am going to say the verses, so anybody listening can look these up. Give to your local church first. Prioritizing the local church in your giving contributes to su sustaining the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word, baptism, communion, and prayer, which are the institutions of Christ that are to be faithfully practiced in the church for the good of the believers and for the glory of God. 1 Timothy 4.13, 2 Timothy 4.2, Matthew 28.19, 1 Corinthians 11.25-26, 1 Timothy 2.1 and verse 8. In addition, since your local church is your primary source of teaching, it should be the primary recipient of your giving. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 11, Galatians 6, 6, and 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Point number two, give regularly and deliberately. Paul told the Corinthians to set aside money on the first day of every week. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Giving to the church should not be a spontaneous decision, but should be a deliberate act of your regular worship of God. Number three, give sacrificially and gratefully. It is true that God loves a cheerful giver, but taking up our cross and following Christ doesn't always initially feel cheerful when dying to self and living for Christ. So use your giving to make possible a life lived in sacrificial obedience. 
knowing that whatever you give, give up pales in comparison to what you are receiving in Christ. And number four, lastly, give generously and unto a generous God. God has given us bountifully every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and has lavished upon us the riches of his grace. We are encouraged to be generous, knowing that we can never outgive God. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. So that's been out in our foyer for months now. Um, it's a biblical perspective on giving, and that's been adapted from Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, Mark Dever's church. Um, it's their statement on, on giving as well. And so in closing... For almost 2,000 years, God's people have faithfully served in and financially supported the local church. They've been driven by a love of God and desire to glorify him. So praise God for how well this has been exemplified in many of the saints here at Pacific Hope. And may all of our service and giving be to exalt the name of Christ and bring him glory and honor and praise. Amen? All right, let's pray and close up. Lord, we thank you for this lesson on service, on giving of ourselves, and having you as a model of laying down your life as a ransom for many. And you did not come to be served, which you deserve, but to serve your people. Lord, help that be our encouragement. Help that be our strength, that you did it perfectly, without sin. Lord, we thank you for that. We are grateful for who you are and sacrificing yourself for us. Help us to continue to remember, remember, remember that sacrifice and help it guide our hearts and our minds and how we serve with grateful hearts. Lord, not out of bitterness, not out of duty, not because we have to. Lord, but because we love you and we want to glorify you with our lives and we want to serve one another so we can glorify you. Lord, help us continually take the focus off of ourselves and put it on you and one another. Lord, give us that life of gratefulness and joy. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.